What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Bumper Sticker Faith. My name is Louis Dooley. I got my brother Sam here. Sam, I got a riddle, but I'm not going to do it because it takes too long for riddles. Maybe we'll put it up on our one of our pages or something like that. It's a pretty cool riddle. <laughs> you started off. Okay, go ahead. Well, I mean, so so a cowboy rode into town on a Friday and he stayed three days. And he left on Friday? And he left on Friday. Friday's the name of his horse. That must be a pretty popular one. Are you a genius? <laughs> I couldn't get it. So, yeah, the yeah, horse is Friday. One. That's a popular one. Okay, all right. I got a teenager got me with it. I was stumped. So, anyway, man, welcome to the show, man. We we did, we did like did two episodes two weeks ago, and we skipped last week, and I feel like it's been a month. Yeah. Yeah. You feel the same way? I do. I feel like it's been a while, and it's not Friday. It's Wednesday, of course. It is Wednesday, man. I like Wednesdays. Yeah. Bump day. Bump day. Bam. Happy bump bump day. day. BKA to some is hump day, <laughs> but we call it bump day. So, man, we got a special guest today yeah. again, um, a brother who we're just meeting, but, man, a very accomplished young man, and we're going to talk about some stuff that's pretty deep today. So yeah. what, are we, what, what are we talking about, and who is this guy? Well, today we'd like to welcome Dr. Tom Price to the show today. So welcome to you. Where are you uh, at right now? In East Coast? I somewhere. am in West Hartford, Connecticut. That's okay. where I reside. Okay. I'm, uh, I was in Pennsylvania for a conference, but I got back uh, early in the week, and okay. so kind of adjusting my bearings. But I am back there, and it's kind of a nice nice day here. It's not too hot. and Okay. So, it's a good place to be right now. <laughs> and Dr. Price uh, teaches at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, among other uh, schools as well. And, and you teach apologetics and ethics and philosophy as well. And uh, I learned of him from the Theology Podcast. One of nice. one of my favorite pug, one of my favorite podcasts that I <laughs> that I podcast. listen to. Yeah, <laughs> there's multiple podcasts yeah. in case you didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was, pretty. Cool. That was it was named because it was in a pub called uh, the Pug. Is that right? Yeah, the, yeah. If I walk down my street and take a right across the street is something called the Corner Pug, oh. and it is a pub. Uh, named after a, I guess, one of the owner's dogs, and okay. it is pug-themed. Um, and the way we ended up with that title is we were meeting at a different pub doing a theological, uh, you know, monthly theological discussions, and that pub ended up closing. So we wanted to keep our audience informed and keep it going, so we started mm. recording a podcast at the pub near me, hmm. and it just kind of took off from there. It went wider than our general local audience, and then that theme became kind of a little funny, yeah. <laughs> and kind of we started coming up with strange little T-shirts and the like to go, you know, pugs wanting to fight and things like that. <laughs> mm. And so it kind of it kind of stuck. So it has some of the humor combined with the serious stuff. Yeah, that's cool. I like and it. pints. So <laughs> and pints. Oh, yeah, can't go wrong there. <laughs> yes, emphasis on the pints, huh? And uh, <laughs> and I and I appreciate the the podcast, and I'm glad you guys did open it up and and you know record it and for everyone to hear because you guys have a depth and you talk about things that uh, are not normally heard in like at least my typical evangelical church settings. And I really appreciate that because there's, there's, there's a depth there. And that's part of what we want to get into uh, today. Uh, back probably a year ago, Lewis said to me that he really wanted to talk about 
the difference between the uh, soul and the spirit, right? Like the the nature of do we have a uh, tripartite human nature, or is there just just two parts, body and soul? You know, know what's what's the difference? And that's what I wanted to talk about today. But then we had some events in my life and my family, which I wanted to kind of use to key off of because I thought there's maybe a bigger context with which to understand the human nature, first of all. And that that bigger context is what is the nature of this world and the nature of of, of creation and life that, that we're in. So what happened to me was very personal, uh, tragic event in our family's life happened where my brother-in-law was traveling home from work, as he always does, and he's very, uh, very faithful on time in that, very conscientious, meek, humble guy, but he was caught in a road rage incident, and he was actually shot by another driver uh, several times, and he died. And so this is my my brother-in-law, my sister's uh, husband, and his name's Gio Jensen. And so we're we were obviously trying to deal with that. That just happened last Wednesday, in fact. And I remember getting the call from a family member of mine. And the family member, the very first things that they said was, this is just de- demonic. And I thought, that, that, that feels right to me, you know. And, but that got me thinking again about this wider context that we're living in, that mm-hmm. whatever natures we have, uh, what's the nature of uh, the, the world we're living in as well? As um, as creatures like that God has made, and what is the nature of God, and and I thought especially uh, you, uh, Tom, uh, with your you have a, a real passion to recover the Christian theological vision of the world, and that's something that our world has lost today since the Enlightenment, and since we you know kicked God out, so to speak. Uh, and, and that hasn't helped any. So say all that to, um, I guess, kick us off. I, I don't know where in that we want, we want, we want to begin, but, but what is the nature of, uh, of our world and this life that we're in? Yeah, it's a, it's a I think, a, a fundamentally important question, and I think probably one of the most fundamentally important for the issues we're wrestling with, struggling with, um, we we don't find ourselves at at such an odd distance from the earliest Christians when they set out from Judea into the uttermost parts of the mm-hmm. earth. What they found is they when they moved from a context familiar with the doctrine of creation from you know Judaism on back um, to a to a world that didn't have the biblical assumption in place. How in the world did Christianity carve out and explain itself in a world that was had really no antenna for the doctrine of creation the way that that Judaism and Christianity were articulating it? And then um, how did they the Christians understand the task of communicating the gospel in a world that was automatically going to put it in a different frame? philosophical and and theological frame than the one intended by Christianity growing out of its Hebraic, you know, revelatory roots. 
And so we kind of find ourselves in an odd place. We tend to be we in, in the West are in a post-Christian society. Um, but one of the key aspects about that is we have an increasing loss of memory culturally, even in the church, about what it is we actually carved out in the early church to make sure that when we communicate the gospel, the good news, um, that in Jesus Christ, um, the fulfillment of all things has come, including our salvation and ultimately the redemption of the world. What's wrong with the world, right? Mm -hmm. Being made right. We want to make sure we're communicating that in light of the other assumptions that that underwrite it, right? So that it doesn't get hijacked or put into an alternative vision that eclipses our our message or or distorts it. And so one of the things I've been as I've studied immense amounts of the kind of scriptural rooting of our vision, and then the way the church has tried to carve it out in the earliest days and communicate it across history, um, I found and discovered, especially through various thinkers who are doing work along this line, that we've really often lost sight of some of the richest things we have. Mm. And the reason is because we put so much emphasis on good things, we tended to only think those good things were the whole vision. And we've tended to just emphasize those all the while that the rest of the assumptions that go into that good thing, the good news, um, are being distorted, eclipsed, cultural assumptions, philosophical assumptions, distortions are entering in, which were not consistent with the, the riches that I think the early Christian vision had in place and the best parts of it across time. That's a long introduction. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I think when we talk about um, the, the Christian theological vision is there are kind of two places that are kind of taboo in a lot of our worlds, both culturally and especially in, in the evangelical world, and probably for different reasons. Um, one of these is to talk a lot about what I will call metaphysics. Right. Here's a big word, meta and physics. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't you know, it's such a big word. We don't even like using it often. And so then it tends to get hijacked by new age groups and things like that, where they're talking about kind of, you know, uh, detached spiritualities and, you know, very Gnostic visions and things like that. But metaphysics really just has to do it with kind of the ultimate reality that underpins everything mm -hmm. else it's, it's really what you're after here you know and because this reality um, is more than matter so there's it, it, so, so there's more to the world than than meets the eye th that's basically right. okay much more <clears throat> yeah much, much more, more. And, and can be set you know can be sensed through our senses yep. um and yet the world that we do have access to even though there's more to it than that, it attests to the fact that there's more to it than that, hmm. right? Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get to that. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the prayer before we started about the way in which the, the whole, everything we encounter manifests a kind of magnificence about it, even in a fallen world that, that manifests profundity, um, just bursts forth with glory in a way. Um, and oftentimes we, we as moderns tend to kind of reduce that just to kind of a subjective response to something bigger than us, like the world or universe. Mm -hmm. 
that's about as far as it goes. And so, so one of the things we have to do is kind of do some uh, theological deconstructing, if you will, <laughs> of a lot of our modern assumptions about what it means to, to have what, what nature is, what creation is, what the universe is, what we are as human beings. Um, and so that requires a lot of hard work. It's not easy because our assumptions want to constantly pull us back to their, their, their vision. And so in a way, it's a lot like what the early church understood is as part of our conversion is that we are constantly through scripture being weaned away from our idols, false conceptions of what is what is God. And then we're also in that process having our loves purified, which means we're being weaned off those those improper objects of our devotion and learning to love them the right way. And in learning to love them the right way, we're beginning to see them the right way. Mm -hmm. Right. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Right. Mm -hmm. Purity of heart and vision are very connected um, in 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 the biblical understanding mm -hmm. of things. And so, and so oftentimes, even, you know, modern kind of Protestant evangelicals will just talk about if you just have the right methodological hermeneutic, you can have this kind of direct instantaneous access to the richest things of scripture. And, uh, but scripture itself, you know, when Jesus walks on the road of, of, of Emmaus and, and, and show opens the scripture to them, he's showing them that there is more to it than meets the hermeneutical eye, right? <laughs> um, there, there is a, there is a seeing him and seeing all things in him, and and a kind of purification that the spirit does to allow us to see that fuller truth. And so, one of the things that we we have to do is be be caught up in that process, and then we realize that a lot of early Christians were doing that to help articulate the Christian God and the Christian view of everything else in relation to God. Mm. That's where really the work I do kind of, uh, that's the center of it, if you will. And so why is that significant? Well, it's significant because probably most of the ways we talk about the human, human meaning, purpose, salvation, um, are very truncated and, and short, if not eclipsed, from the rich, vibrant picture that we actually have. Um, I, I remember reading uh, Henri de Rubeck. It was one of these uh, famous Catholic resourcement theologians. And he, he asked a very poignant question. He said, why is it that when Christianity entered the early scene, it was seen as a view of liberation, happiness, and joy? That here is one who has plundered the depths of hell, Christ, he's resurrected, and he has basically taken the, you know, the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and this is triumphant, to something where Christianity is that which people need to be liberated from, hmm. right? So how do we go from a hmm. picture of Christianity as liberation and triumph to a place where Christianity is something that is nothing more than the status quo, you know, static forms of of kind of social life that oppress mm -hmm. right um and put put a hindrance on our our will and our desires and so that really that's a profound question mm -hmm. because i think we, we we deal with that especially with a lot of the challenges today um so i think at the heart of that question though is 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 the stuff we're getting at 
And so your question originally, you know, the nature of God and the nature of creation, um, what do they look like from the Christian perspective? Mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe that's a good place for me to unpack. So is, uh, am I on track yeah. here? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Well, now, and I now, like I even, let me, I'll just make an observation yeah. that in light of what you said, that Christianity went from some something that people recognized liberated them. And then when in the ancient times or medieval times, when Christian leaders would come in and and bring Christianity, the the people of those areas would actually feel that liberation. They they would thank God that they knew God and that 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 yeah. they uh, that they discovered Christ. But like you said, it went to this thing where now Christianity is just this oppressive thing. And today we have to come up with new forms of liberation. We think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We, we, we want liberation from anything that p places a premise or a condition on our wills. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, and again, there is a whole history to how we, we get to that. And that is a competing vision to Christianity mm. in, in our contemporary culture. And that's probably worth talking about if we get to it. But let me start kind of where I usually start out about unpacking so people can kind of get a glimpse of of you know the christian view of things um one way into it is just to talk about kind of the christian way of getting access to who christ is and how that started the church thinking about who he is in relationship to the father and spirit and then what insight that gave the church to address the issue of who god is and what creation is like and so one of the things you see is uh, you'll you remember the famous uh, New Testament uh, event where where Peter, you know, Jesus basically asked, well, who are people saying that I am? Mm -hmm. um, and he says, well, some will say that you're a prophet. Um, you know, so people could see on the surface of Christ and, and something about his historical embodied manifestation that there was something peculiar about him that, that set him apart. But they didn't have the interpretive insight within their means to be able to capture who who this was. Then you had some later, of course, who said, you know, oh, he was doing this, you know, maybe a demon, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the blasphemous. Um, but then he turns to Peter and says, well, who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you above all flesh and blood, the surface, the material mm -hmm is not the source of that insight, but my father in heaven. Hmm. Um, so in other words, to see Christ in, in his full deity as God's son, as the order of deity, um, although the stepping stone is his embodied incarnate manifestation, that pointed to something different. It pointed somewhere and to, it pointed a, a origin and an end, that this one is distinct, unique, has its origin in heaven and has its completion and fulfillment in that returning to heaven. And if you look at John's gospel, it's actually written from that insight, right? Mm -hmm. um, you don't have just genealogy that you're part of redemptive history, but that history goes all the way back up into in the beginning was the word, the word mm -hmm. was with God, the word was God. So one of the things that the Christian reflection started to penetrate was the insight into eternity that the father-son relation 
and eventually the father-son-spirit relation precede the creator-creature relation. Hmm. So whether or not before, in the beginning is a reference to say before. Now before we have to be careful with here. Before is not a temporal term when it's applied to God. Hmm. Before is ontological. The being in God precedes everything. And the being of God, complete and in itself, before creation, is a communion of Father, Son, Spirit. So from everlasting to everlasting, or another way of putting it, eternally, infinitely, God is God. In a full, complete perfection of communal love, if you will, in relationship. Um, another way theologians put it is God is at complete bliss from all eternity. And the other point of this is God is free. In other words, God is fully God before there even being a creation. To the point that to talk about the Christian God, you don't have to have the creation in order to be talking about God. Whereas the pagan world, you needed the creation because God was simply the biggest thing around and God needed the creation to compare himself with, <laughs> right? So God is, the creation is finite. God is infinite. Now we use that language, but we use it in a very different way. We're not saying compared to, to negating creation, God is this way because that would assume God needs creation mm -hmm. to be infinite. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Christian view isn't like that. God is in and of himself infinite <laughs> in and of himself self-sufficiently infinite he doesn't need the comparison so so the christian view of god's freedom has to do in the way the unique way in which god carries everything within his own being god is being itself in the western tradition or in the eastern orthodox tradition is god is beyond being mm -hmm. but both are, are trying to capture this point that god is not one more being within the chain of being mm -hmm. except for the biggest thing in it god it is the sheer perfection of being that is the source of everything else and that that um, developed so that's a, part of mm -hmm. the tradition that developed around that from like the greek orthodox mm -hmm. i believe was like the apophatic tradition right where that just yeah. simply means i won't try to just say what god is but i'll say what he's not because in order to say what he is like you were saying it's yeah. almost like you have to compare him to something in creation and say that oh he's yeah. just He's not just a bottle of water. He's a waterfall. You know, that's that's still yeah. making him part of creation. But with the apophatic tradition, they're saying that uh, he's, you'd have to say it in a negative way, right? Like God is not, uh, I can't even think of an example. God is not uh, limited or God is not. I don't, I don't think it's possible to really fully know all that there is to know about God. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. we can know from scriptures attributes of God and, and things like that. But, you know, just from a guy being infinite standpoint, like we out of my mind can't wrap yeah, around how yeah. something is infinite. Yeah. It just, I know if the definition of infinite, in, infinite, but my mind can't wrap around mm -hmm. something existing that that applies to mm -hmm. because it's so big. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think you're, you're hitting, you're hitting on to the reason why they use the language they do is, is you're dealing with an incomprehensible nature um, that is also incomparable. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, so especially like you said, in the apophatic tradition, they're talking about the way in which that, that language, that apophatic, the way of negation, if you will, 
um, is being applied in a unique way to speak of God's transcendence in such a way that it makes sure to make sure that God is not one more being and hmm. essence like everything else, but rather the alpha and omega of everything else, hmm. the very sheer, perfect, infinite plenitude of joyous being. Um, which, you know, again, you, because we can't have access to it other than through the analogies, signs, and similarities that are in creation that point to it, um, we therefore have to say that at the heart of it is is a, is a mystery that we cannot penetrate, and we won't penetrate even when we see in the beatific vision God face-to-face, -face, right? Yeah, there, there's we... always, the, the finite will never, even in participating in infinite, will never comprehend it yeah and um, just and just and for so, our, but just for mm -hmm. our listeners like when we when you're talking about god you're talking about the godhead not like separating yeah. the father from the son or from mm -hmm. the spirit like this the word god you're using encompasses all of those because those all are Absolutely. god mm -hmm. so just you know Absolutely. we got varying yeah. understandings and maturity levels you yeah. know mm -hmm. with listeners so we just will make sure cool. everybody's tracking with us yeah yeah, we're talking about the, the 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 full infinite plenitude of the triune God that yeah. we confess as Christians mm -hmm. um, manifest um, in in Christ and the Spirit in their in the economy of revel you know their their entrance into his history for us. Um, so one of the things that you get from this though is the notion that um, you know before Abraham was I am mm -hmm. right. Um, there there is in God no need that is lacking, no perfection mm. that is not complete, um, no potential that can be added to, or let me put it this way, God is so perfect and complete and self-sufficient that God needs nothing else, is not made better or fuller or augmented or affected one way or the other, whether or not there is anything else. God is always fully God, hmm. whether God creates hmm. or not. Yeah. God is not creating out of any lack or need or any need to manifest his glory. God is in and of himself glorious, perfectly glorious. God doesn't need it. So the big question in theology, the, the real doctrine of creation issue, is not how to measure it on the time scale of modern science. But it is why we understand why God is, because God is, here's some metaphysical talk, isness itself. God's very nature is to be. If you want to know what God's essence is, it is to be-ness. Mm. I am is the Hebraic way of saying mm. God's nature and essence are one and the same. God's existence and being are one and the same. Creatures, on the other hand, we aren't, we aren't our existence. Mm. In other words, there's nothing about my nature that says I have to be. I owe my existence always to the one who mm. is existence itself. Yeah. In other words, I'm always receiving, sustained by, and oriented mm -hmm. towards the one who is being mm -hmm. in order to be, because I'm not being itself. I am not I amness. And Dang. so, and so creation mm -hmm. is that way. So we understand why God is, because God is to be itself. Mm -hmm. Here. Wow. The beingness mm -hmm. from everlasting, everlasting, infinite. That's why there's something rather than nothing, because that something is isness itself, right? Mm. Um, 
But the question is, why is there anything else? If God doesn't need it, God is complete, happy, full, fully glorified, fully in communion, a full communion of love, completely complete, lacking nothing, right? If God is complete and lacking it, then why is there a creation at all? <laughs> why? If he doesn't need it, why is it there? And why does he keep sustaining it every day? Like, this is a point I don't want people to miss, too. Like, the fact that you're listening to this right now and God's giving you sustaining that ability. That's not a, like a cliche kind of thing to say. It's the it's it's a bedrock of reality. If you're alive, God is sustaining you. He is doing it. He is, um, his isness is is being lent to me so that I can be alive another second, right? That's right. It's causing you to be right. Yes. If your being is being caused by his being yes. right now. Yes. In him we live and move and have our being. That's not panentheism. It's his being is causing our mm-hmm. being. Our mm-hmm. being is not his being, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. being caused by his being, being donated, being given by mm-hmm. him in a, cre- in, a, in a created way. It's, this, um, is, and all that. this is probably going to, uh, there's probably a heresy in this analogy somewhere, but I'll say it anyways. Oh boy. But it's almost as if, like, you think of the uh, the radio, the broadcasting station versus the, the radio that you have in your home that uh, that that's receiving the signal. The fact that you can turn the radio on and it has a signal means that there's a radio station out there giving the signal. And that's like well, when I, I when I wake up in the morning, when I'm here, God is giving me that signal, so to speak. He's giving yeah, you that you signal. Are. He's turning us on. Were it not yeah. for him, so the very even fact that I that I am uh, shows that yeah. there's somebody, that there, there's someone sending me the life signal. Yeah, you you are and 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 our brother here are theophanic. That means we manifest our incompleteness, and by doing so, we manifest the complete one who is giving it to us. So wow. we, as Scripture will say in 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 um, uh, Colossians and Corinthians, we are the image of God and quote the glory of God. Mm-hmm. How do you like that radical language? Mm-hmm. Talking about yeah. us, of course, it, no re- being remade in the image of the Son. Yeah. Theophanic. Think about that. Yeah. You got the fire hose yeah, out this morning, right. boy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. sufficiency and absolute freedom in other words to create or not there's this isn't a Plotinian emanation where god is so full god spills over mm. right over and the creation becomes the spilling over mm. uh, okay there's some rich philosophical imagery that can come out of that tradition and christians have borrowed from it but christians have been absolute on the ex nihilo nature of this that this isn't god simply spilling over 
um, that, that God doesn't need to spill it. Mm -hmm. God is so complete, right? Um, and, and so, and there isn't anything to contain God. <laughs> so, so the spilling over makes no sense mm -hmm. anyway. Um, and so, but what we have here is, is the, uh, this is where we start to carve out the personal volitional dimensions and the intelligible dimensions of, of God. So we can get a little glimpse of something about God from the fact that God has chosen to create. Um, God has freely done it, not out of need, but sheerly out of the good plenitude, the, the sheer good pleasure of and love of wanting to and choosing to, not out of a lack, but out of a fullness, to give what God has by nature to that which otherwise is nothing, hmm. right? Hmm. To, uh, to create something out of nothing, to be able to share in something of the perfection and joy that God is by nature. Hmm. That is why we're here. Wow. It is the creation is completely for us. Hmm. Yes, he is the center of it and he is the glory, but that's because of who he is, number one. But secondly, because that is our perfection and our bliss. Mm -hmm. That's why we're we're created in God's image. That's why we are oriented to him. Right. By by in our in our original constitution. Um, this is why the commandments start the way they do. Love God first, not because God needs it. God doesn't need anything. Mm -hmm. You need it. Yeah. <laughs> I need it in order to be mm -hmm. able to receive the fullness that God is, to be perfected <clears throat> and participate in the bliss that mm -hmm. is God's eternal communion of love. So what we have is what we see here is not necessity, but creation is fundamentally gift all the way down. Mm -hmm. It is a gift given our being, both the fact mm -hmm. that we are and the fact of what we are mm -hmm. and actually everything every being that is created is part of that goodness which is god's sharing of something of his riches to a finite creation to enjoy flourish in have life mm -hmm. and if you notice the genesis account i mean what is it do this and you know um be fruitful and multiply in other words flourish mm -hmm. <laughs> Right as you orient your towards the way in which this is designed for the perfection of each thing, and so so Genesis is sort of stamping it with what the character of that ordering of things towards God it looks like, and the flourishing and aliveness that comes with it. And so again, let's back up the gift character of everything. Again, evil is not a thing; it's a privation of a thing. Mm -hmm. It's a distortion in a good thing. It doesn't eliminate the goodness of the gift of being a creature. It doesn't eliminate the goodness of having an image of God. What it does is it, 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 it distorts, disturbs, and, and uh, pollutes it, right? It lives off of it. it mm -hmm. Evil basically has no being. It lives off of the being that we, we have. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. So God doesn't create evil. He creates good beings, good beings through which their own sin supplies the being for the evil. Isn't that, that's pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but God is not the one, the, the author of that. And so he's the author of the goodness of being. Um, fallen creatures are, are and, and kind of a, anyway, there's a whole, there's a whole thing that we mm -hmm. can go on with that. But, um, but the, the point here is, is that everything created 
is gift. Again, it's been impacted by the fall, death, hell, and the grave, but it has, it is gift. So this is why when you start out, I mean, if you, you begin to look even in the New Testament, when it says, you know, love your enemy, do good to those who curse you, you know, it's hard to. Why? Because what you're loving is not the sin about it. Your 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 love is oriented toward the goodness of God, God's creation, and it's a love of God <clears throat> and the gift of God. Now, again, that that gets into a whole lot of a lot of other issues, and and so you know the issue, the place of suffering, the formative dimensions of it, um, and things like that. But we we can kind of get there later. So what we have here is gift is at the heart of creation. It's non-necessity. Now, what does that mean about creation? It's nature, yeah. Yeah. the nature of nature. Well, it means this. Number one, it isn't the source of what it is or the shape that it is. It's forms. Those things are given in the gift. Hmm. In other words, hmm. the fact that you are and what you are as a composite of form and matter, for, for that matter, are the gifts that he has given, the stamp of his goodness onto the creation. The, the, these are not arbitrary, accidental byproducts of, of randomness. Mm -hmm. This is not social construction, mm -hmm. right? You have a nature and an existence, both of which are gifts. And the proper orientation of those is one, ultimate dependency. Um, we aren't the source of our own life, and we're not the source of our own natures. Mm -hmm. We aren't the constructors of them. We have a kind of co-relationship to them to cultivate, orient them the right way, to use our freedom in the right way to, to, towards the good that God is as our life source um, and our perfection. Um, but we're not the source. And so because of that, we aren't, you know, as as you know, God said in the garden, you're not to to eat of this one particular tree of playing with things you're not ordained to play with, mm -hmm. <laughs> like our human nature, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and and things like that. So these things are are basically forms that are gifts. And so what has happened in the world, what rupture came with the fall that we would somehow be resentful rather than thankful for what we've been endowed with and given. And Romans really talks about it, you know, that the invisible things of the world mm -hmm. manifest something of God. Mm -hmm. Everything is theophanic. Everything shows in its incompleteness that it owes what it is and that it is to the source that is its very life and being. Not only that, in that connection between the invisible and the visible, there is a glory manifest that it shows not only the glory that is the source of everything, but is also the glory of the distinct creatures in their own way of being participants in the glory that God is. So everything should be radiant with beauty and manifest joy and flourishing for the whole that lives out of this, this joy and perfection mm -hmm. in God. And so what does Romans say, though? Rather than being thankful, which is the human proper human orientation of, of gift receiving, mm -hmm. right? Thankful. Um, we started to become more fascinated by the gifts than the giver. Mm -hmm. 
and therefore we start to, because we're image bearers of the of the giver, mm. we start to become distorted in our we we start to turn them into idols, and we start to our loves start to get distorted. So we try to take out of creaturely mm. things that which only God can supply, right? So think of a, a relationship where somebody, you know, think of the obsessed lover, right? Um, they're going to die if they don't, you know, have this person, you know, that they're in love with. And uh, and all they do is, you know, think about this person and stalk this person, you know, whatever. They become, they have turned this person into almost the only source that can give them identity, meaning, and purpose mm. for their existence. And they try to exact from another human that which only God can supply. Mm. And in doing that, they distort the love relation and they basically build a rupture between mm -hmm. people um and and all of a sudden you have the inflow of one set of problems we mm -hmm. deal with when we get that relationship wrong and they deprive I said a lot let me just kind of pause yeah. here and let you guys run with it a bit and they de they deprive themselves of of the gift giver they deprive themselves of god in that case where uh and and i, I was also thinking of like psalm 115 people with idols those who make them will be will become like them and yeah that's not a fun thought yeah yeah that's 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 right and that that are that's really what you have going on here is you you as you have an idol take root a creaturely concept or creaturely reality become in the come in the place of god you not only bring what you have then is a competitive relation established between you know, between other creatures um, competing for who's going to have that kind of place of of central idol. Um, but you also have, you're trying to get out of the creation what it cannot give, mm -hmm. right? We're trying to find our happiness and our completion and our perfection in creaturely things mm -hmm. which can't supply them. Mm -hmm. Now, we've made a god out of modern technology, mm -hmm. but we often think technology, because it has allowed us to gain a certain control and manipulate a, a you know, a very, you know, potential-driven creation, um, we, we, we allow it, we've been able to basically bring it under our own subjection, if you will. And in doing that, without the wisdom of God to direct it, we've starting to create, you know, you know, horrible mm -hmm. consequences, uh, social, I mean, think of where AI is going mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Um, and, but what happens with this is you have a people who think, well, if we just get enough technological advancement, we're going to be able to cure these kind of mm -hmm. things. Like we've cured kind of polio, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and this issue is one that isn't going to be cured because it's it's rooted at the fundamental dimension of what it means to be a human. And that is this openness to the source of its being at the heart of its reality, right? God has set eternity in their hearts, mm -hmm. right? And again, in a fallen state, we misinterpret that and we look for it in, in you know, in creaturely things. Um, but the orientation, the desire to have things perfected, to be made better, to have happiness and completion and perfection and meaning. Um, those are driven by our natures as creatures mm -hmm. to God at mm -hmm. source. Yes, um, but as Augustine said, we're, we're down here looking for it, um, but our hearts are restless until they actually find the source that is is the infinite one we're made mm -hmm. for. 
Go yeah, ahead, it's, it's interesting to me how <clears throat> with us being created in the likeness and image of God and God is a creator, therefore his creation creates. And, uh, you know, that's pretty cool. But then like the perfection of God's creation versus the imperfection of our creation and how we want to yeah. achieve that perfection that God did, but we're unable to and left to our own yeah. devices like we'll we'll create something that will be the thing that destroys us, mm-hmm. you know, maybe yeah. as a race or a population, mm-hmm. you know. And so yeah. on one hand, it's like something is built in us. God built something in us that's of yeah. him. And yeah. because of our depravity and our sin, we are still creating, but we don't have the ability to create something like God can. And I've, I've just, I haven't really yeah. thought about that much mm-hmm. before. I mean, I thought about the whole God created us and, and we're creators as well in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our lack and our striving to perfect the thing becomes that idol, which replaces the th- the the God, that, I will not say the thing that created mm-hmm. us, the God that created us. And so it's, um, man, it's some deep thinking stuff. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if I was listening to this, like I'd have like 25 minutes ago, I'd have had to hit pause and just sit back and start wrapping my mind around something. I had to hit play again for maybe another minute or two and hit pause again. This is some deep stuff, the good stuff, good stuff to ponder and think about. But one of the things that kind of came to my mind as I was listening was, so God who created all for his own pleasure or his own will which we don't necessarily, we can't answer the reason why we just know what scripture says, you know, it, it begs to ask the question that many people who are on earth ask is, you know, then God to create this and God being omniscient, knowing all the things that would happen, how, like, how can that play a part in God's knowing everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly and yet still choosing to create yeah. knowing that the nature mm-hmm. of man would be corrupted, you know, and I don't, I don't know if it's an, an answerable question or not, but definitely it's probably one of the top. And as a, as an apology, apologist, I'm sure that's something that you've dealt with, you know, time and time again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, is, is it worth it all if, you know, people use the gift of their, their, their freedom which is part of being made in the image of God mm-hmm. to, to reject it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, God obviously said, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, yep. Um, the goodness of being the goodness of being, they participate in even with suffering and even with, with the consequences of sin and the like, I mean, there is always, you know, it's better had Judas not been born than he did what he did. Right. Um, but that is, it's better that he, he, he didn't, you know, that he not use <laughs> his his uh, image of god the wrong way right mm. um and and i mean i know when you, you're going through suffering and hurt or you're thinking about those who who reject you know the, the grace uh, of christ uh you know when you you think on that and you think of you know where where that can end up um it's because they're they're choosing the god they've made of themselves and mm. happiness defined by themselves for themselves and everything else, the God given desire for those things um, to orient it towards that, which isn't going to supply it. And yeah, the hell yeah. that comes with yeah. that consequences is, 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 is part of 
you know, part of the moral spiritual dimension is part of the responsibility that sits on us as agents mm. made in the image of God and made and equipped to, to uh, by God's grace to say, you know, we don't have to go that way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yep. uh, even in, no matter how, you know, no matter where you fall in the kind of, you know, reformed in every other spectrum, uh, none of them hold hold the view, you know, except for kind of, you know, maybe some some radical hyper Calvinists. <laughs> none of them hold the view that human beings um, are being unjustly treated by allowing the consequences of their no mm -hmm. to God to to go that way. I mean, again, um, it speaks of the profundity of what of, of what we are as humans, you know. Um, as image bears, and it also speaks, I think, of the responsibility that sits on us. Um, but it also talks of, you know, I mean, Scripture's constant call to people back to God is a huge love letter that says those avenues that reject God as your first love don't lead to a good place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't lead to a good place. They lead to hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength for your own good. Lo Therefore, when you love God the right way, mm -hmm. which is is as the, the, the infinite source of all love, love itself, that love itself so permeates you. Mm -hmm. That you can love your neighbor as yourself because mm -hmm. you're not loving yourself the wrong way or your neighbor, you know. And so, you know, we off, often have this this notion of love is, you know, loving whatever whatever somebody wants to do to do, mm -hmm. you know. So if a, a is it loving to say to a person who's in a burning house, uh, you know, you want to stay in the house, you know, get high, okay, go ahead and do it. No, you want to say, look, get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, get out of that house. Yeah. It's burning. It's burning down. Um, and I would, you know, appreciate the same if I didn't see it was burning down that someone warned me. Yeah. Um, and say, you know, go to where there's help. I mean, they, those are hard questions, and I don't know that it gives a good answer. I mean, there, there are thick, thick, you mm -hmm. know, philosophical and theological ways of going into some of that. But I think those pictures paint pretty well. I love uh, Soren Kierkegaard's definition of love. Um, I forget which book it's in, but he said, for me to love you the most, then I, I have to help you to put God first. And for you to love me the most, you have to help me to put God first. And for God to love us the most, it's to help us to put God first. But yeah, it that's that very uh, deep understanding of how uh, of the nature of God, that he is the gift giver, of the nature of creation, that it's a gift, and how we're to orient ourselves in order to navigate the right way in this world. To yeah. to put God first is to, to orient our life towards him, mm -hmm. towards a source of life, to have him as, you know, to follow the, the greatest commandments. And that's the very best thing that I can do for me, that I can do for anyone else. And, and that... But then that means that the word love may not may not come out as uh, some people would like it because, like you said, maybe you're maybe you love maybe you love alcohol, for instance, and you yeah. love it so much that 
to love you wouldn't be to give you an endless supply all the time. It would be to help you to moderate it or even to take away, right. you know, your liver, your liver would appreciate that, you know, moderating that. <laughs> yeah. love. But, but even, even like yeah. jokes about livers and that, it, it just, it, it, it proves the fact that we're made in a certain way and you yes, can't absolutely. violate, you can't violate our nature mm-hmm. and you can't violate right. this unseen invisible world without facing consequences to it. Yeah, that's why that's why Dr. Price mentioned earlier the word freedom. Mm. And I think biblical freedom versus the world's freedom are two totally different things. The world's yeah. freedom says be who you want, do what you want, have what you mm-hmm. want. And biblical freedom says f- true freedom is found in Christ and Christ alone. Mm-hmm. If you want to be free, it's being in Christ and Christ being in you. And in that, yeah. and in turn, that freedom that you acquire in Christ, you learn that these things that the world teaches us aren't really things that free us. They're things that trap us. Mm-hmm. Brilliantly put. I mean, the, the way, way, what Christ does in restoring us to embrace him is also gives us ourselves back the right way. This mm. is what sacraments are all about, right? As we bring the, the bread we make, we put together. Human hands put that together. Bread is not made. It doesn't grow in the garden. Mm. Human put that together. The wine, they cultivate it. And as it's brought into union with Christ and and in thanksgiving and praise, right? Christ gives us his presence through it, but also gives the bread and wine back to us the right way, what they really are as means of grace, as theophanic, as manifesting the presence of transcendent presence of God and being bread and wine mm-hmm. creatures. Mm-hmm. And so in and in doing this, I mean it's similar in Christ, we're giving our humanity back the right way. And so Christian view of freedom is the ability to truthfully enact what we're created to be. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm truthfully enact to that's freedom to, to you know the freedom of the glorious freedom of the children of god and that means that there is a completion in that union with christ given by the trinity in which heaven's joy and heaven's life is now our life and heaven permeates our earthliness in such a way that as we are continuously growing in that you know colossians talks about be heavenly minded mm-hmm. you now your identity now is one id with Christ at the right hand of God. Um, therefore, enact truthfully your creaturely life by putting off those things of the old life and putting on all mm. these new riches you have in the mm. spirit, right? Yeah. And which heavens have things heaven has, joy, peace, long mm. suffering, all these things, you're bringing heaven to bear on, on the creation and therefore bringing it to penetrate it and therefore calling it to its restoration in Christ as well. And in doing that, what you end up doing is refracting the beauty of heaven again in the world mm. and that in the beauty of creation seen in the light of Christ. Right. So this is this is where you get your orthodox icon, why it's all that light behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's Christ manifesting <clears throat> creation again um, as it's been brought into union with his resurrection. And so and, and when you do that, what you find is that there is no comparison to the joy that we have as being heavenly beings partaking of God's joyous life. Mm-hmm. And so as we partake, we're invited into the inner sanctum of God's joyous tri- triune life. As we enter that happiness 
and that completion. Our natures are perfected. Our joy is full. We're not looking for another. Mm-hmm. We're, we found the pearl at great price at which we can go get rid of all the other pearls we bought. Mm-hmm. And so what we try to tell people in the gospel is what you're looking for amongst all those other pearls. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful things. They're creatures. You're going to be attracted by certain creaturely things because they do manifest something <laughs> of creator, mm-hmm. creator in them. But when you confuse them, when you, when you turn to the visible, rather than see the visible as a, a, as a theophany of the invisible, and then turn your heart to the invisible so you can receive the visible the right way, mm-hmm and not turn it into an idol and become a slave to it, you get both. You get heaven, your completion, and you receive the creature the right way. And that's a sacramental relationship, right? Um, Where they manifest the presence of God, and in so doing so, you can relate to that person or that creature the right way. I mean, this all comes when we start to dig into the riches of creation. Mm -hmm. Mm. Man, that's some good stuff, man. I was just thinking about uh, the um, like the nature of a, a na- the nature of addictions, mm-hmm. and y- you yeah. can even look at the nature of an addictions and see that uh, because you always want something more, right? It starts with a little, but then you want more, and you ha- then you require more, then you ha- require even more, and it's almost as if there's that that part of us that wants God. <laughs> It, it once yeah. got it because it, 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 it won't settle for what, you know, the quote unquote idol can give us, but it knows that it's more. Now, now we just so happen to be continuing to go after finite things that won't satisfy. And we think if you, uh, the more you accumulate of those things that that'll satisfy. But if you really follow that, uh, we're intended to follow that, not to be addicted, but to have God, the, the, the infinite source. That's what we're made for. And only he can satisfy in those ways. So even addictions can point to the fact that we're, uh, we're made for God. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they, they tendency, they talk about kind of how, again, how intense our being made for God is. Um, and, and how, and this is, you know, again, scripture's love warning is, is when you don't, you know, when, when God isn't, isn't that the source of, of these things, we are going to turn to things that will enslave us. Mm. And uh, any kind of addiction becomes that sort of thing. And certain things, of course, become more addictive because they they have the ability to capture our bodily dependence and our psychological dependence mm. on top of the spiritual dimension mm. or a byproduct of it. And, and so in doing that, even when people will come to Christ and, and start to address the first, you can see it can often take a long time and be a long struggle for that that converting out of it just because of the nature of that kind of enslavement. Um, but it definitely testifies. It, it's like uh, Alexander Schreeman in his brilliant work, The Life of the World, which is kind of an orthodox classic. But he talks about what is the, what is the character of our humans being created in the image of God? At, at what is it to be a human? He says, look right in the garden. We are hungry and thirsty. Hmm. And God has given all of these things for our to name and to eat and, and you know, to, to be nourished by. Um, but when you are nourished by them, these creaturely things, you are nourished by them also as they point to their source, which is God, the supplier of all our needs, hmm. according to their riches and mercy. And we, we, we commune with God through them. 
right in in the in the nature of creation but this other tree was not given for those things it was not given to us it was not a gift um so the day that we do eat thereof we surely die and which of course starts with the mm -hmm. kind of spiritual consequences of that is are constantly being hungry and thirsty and never being able not merely to be satisfied but we become enslaved to those things which wouldn't have happened pre-fall right um and it is interesting i was talking to my wife about this other day you notice when christ is on the cross and there is this moment where he says um, i'm thirsty mm -hmm. and the vinegar is not going to satisfy mm. what you have is this taking on in in that full fallenness of humanity this aspect in which the human being is unable to taste of god in their fallen state mm. Mm. you know i never thought about that mm. that you know that that point there um, I don't think I'm reading too much into that, you know? Yeah, he was thirsty, but he was thirsty mm -hmm. um, the way we are when when that that point of 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 us, you know, him him incurring the penalty of our mm. our death. Right. Um, and and again, you know, Jesus flip side, when you drink of the well that I will give mm. you, you will never thirst again. Mm. Yeah. Amen. I am the living water, right? Hmm. Um, so you 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 really have this imagery really attests to the way in which creation hmm. as a vehicle of the presence of God the right way and our being related to it the right way. Hmm. And this is this is how creation is, as hmm. as you said it. And when it isn't oriented to God the right way, that is where all the ruptures happen. Hmm. Um, that that we you know it's there's ruptures you know it, within ourselves there's ruptures between you know male and female there's ruptures between our body and in our inner life there's ruptures between parents and children um neighbors between different racial groups different tribe different sports teams mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean these ruptures <clears throat> these ruptures have entered in and you know scripture says where do these things come from mm -hmm. well they come according to your lusts which is your thirsts mm -hmm. that are never satisfied is we're gonna wind up wind down yeah. uh for now but we're right at the point too where the the tripart nature of the human, the body, soul, and spirit. I, I would love to do another episode at some point with you about that because yeah. to understand uh, who we as creatures are in this creation. But I guess um, as we wind down too, is there anything that you can say in the meantime um, about what some Christians call the, the cosmic battle that we're in, uh, in this world? And you spoke about ruptures, but yeah. Well, I mean, on the on the one side, I always loved, especially the earliest uh, Christian emphasis on atonement on on Christ as victor, that here is one who is now, you know, um, plundered hell, if you will, <laughs> um, and its gates um, and through his resurrection holds the keys of, of eternity. Right. He's conquered. Um, Kind of this goes back to the place of human beings in the creation. I mean, we were to have dominion as as God's vice regents, if you will, um, as those those sons and daughters of God that are creatures oriented to God the right way and image bearers that would cultivate, orient, um, be priests of the creation. 
Um, and in failing to do that, we needed the Prince of Peace, right, to come, the true image bearer in its fullness and perfection, Christ and his humanity, to come and take these things back for us. And so in our union with him as adopted sons and daughters, um, partaking of the life of God, we are in this task of basically, as our, you know, the baptism creed says, turning to the east and renouncing Satan and all of his ways. But Satan and all of his ways is defeated. And so we, in our baptism, are, are this is war language. We have entered a spiritual war in which the victory of Christ is to be proclaimed to those demons and that, that center of the demonic one, Satan, who refuses at this point to fully accept reality mm -hmm. and so unleashes just to rain havoc on us creatures until mm -hmm. the fullness of Christ comes. But we've been equipped with the Spirit of God to carry out Christ's mission of proclaiming the gospel, um, the great liberation from Satan's rule to Christ's rule and the coming kingdom, and to be the first fruits of its manifestation. So that we are building a temple on him, the chief cornerstone, and that which we build has, you know, is part of that eternal city in some way. Um, so that's the cosmic battle. And um and so, you know, there's there are gains and losses, you know. I mean, sometimes we 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 get wounded and die in the cause. We become martyrs, um, but victorious martyrs. Interesting point I heard the other day. I saw someone floating around, and, and he was uh, summing up church, the church fathers, and he talked about the way in which they said um, they would rather die martyrdom than be guilty of false doctrine or perverse living. Mm. And I think that talks about mm -hmm. the victory of Christ, even mm -hmm. over death. These are fearless battlers that death has no sting when it comes. Rather rather than embrace <clears throat> doctrines of demons, Amen. they understand death has no sting. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, the like that could be carried on like for decades, you know, false teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, that's that's my biggest thing. Like, man, bridle my tongue, like knock me out, make me render me speechless. <laughs> You know, because yeah. that's a big deal, man. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah. So, wow. Well, man, brother, doctor, <laughs> friend, <laughs> man, this you might be the deep, the deepest dude we done had on here, at least from, from what we talked about. I'm like, I'm feeling like all wet <laughs> with just knowledge. <laughs> like I'm drenched right now. Like I've been like I ran a marathon, which I've never have done and never will do, by the way. Um, <laughs> but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And so um, is there any, is there, is there a word, one last thing, you know, that you like to leave our listeners with as we close? Um, I, I think one thing is, is that, you know, it isn't a trend to talk about the significance of beauty for the theological vision. And when we see some of the, the ways in which Christianity transformed music, uh, cathedrals, art, these were not just humanistic endeavors. These are the byproducts of an imagination steeped in this kind of metaphysical vision. And when you read people like, uh, say, Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, we talk about a lot on our shows, the reason they capture even the strongest kind of, you know, reform nationalists, if you will, is because it speaks about something they know is true in mm -hmm. the heart of the biblical view of creation. And I think our best picture of it in the scriptures is the Psalms. I mean, when you talk about creation dancing and, the, you know, the, mm. you know, God is a tower, 
you know, we don't ask how many windows does it have? We understand what's going on there. Yeah. I think we need to not be intimidated by all these other visions that seem to to want to dominate. And so we have a lot to dig through. And it's mm-hmm. not be antagonistic to the riches of our tradition as in competition with scripture. Let's see the ways in which they are significant outgrowths of it mm-hmm. and build on those. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Last word. Well, I was thinking about reflecting on this, and um, like Dr. Price said, sometimes sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. You know, we're we're in this we're in this life, and life throws at us many things, and we don't always know how to um, what to do. But one thing that I think uh, a fail safe, something that we know we can always do, is to run to the love of God, like love God. <laughs> Go to his love. You actively love God. And by loving God, I mean putting him first. And um, to me, that's one thing that I can know to do, even when I know don't know what else to do in life, or when life is falling apart, when bad things are happening, all of that. I know that that, that is what I was made for. Mm-hmm. He, I'm the uh, creature, and I was made for, for him. So that's what I want to leave the listeners with. Good, good stuff, man. I want to leave him with a verse. Okay. That I'm just not looking up. Ooh, man. I might not I thought I found it, but I didn't. Okay, maybe it's Galatians. I know it's in Galatians. Um Yeah, yeah, in Galatians. Um in ver- chapter five, verse thirteen, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but serve one another through love. Hmm. And I just think about like the love of God, right? God created us for his own good pleasure and he loves all of his creation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And unfortunately, sin has marred things, but fortunately we have Christ who came and died so that we can be free in him, Mm -hmm. you know, and not free in the world and, and freedom can be defined in many different ways. Slavery has abounded on this planet over you know, centuries. Um, so people are griping and complaining about that. Um, financial freedom, marital freedom, individualism, the freedom to change who God created us to be, all these freedoms that exist. At the end of the day, there's a freedom that only exists in Christ mm-hmm. that God only intended his creation to experience and have. And until we taste and see the goodness of the Lord and experience Christ and him being in us, We'll never know what freedom is, man. And mm-hmm. we'll constantly be searching for the rest of our lives for something that we'll never attain if we don't put Christ at the helm of our lives. Yeah. So um, be free, y'all. Be free, man. Be free in Christ. Mm-hmm. Any other freedom is a lie from the pits of hell to just trick you and keep you away from true freedom that, that Christ has for us. And And although we won't experience the freest form of freedom, I believe, until we touch heaven, we can still live a free life in Christ and and love in the persecutions, love Christ in the trials and the temptations, love Christ in our failures. We will experience true freedom one day in heaven, but we can get a taste of that here now. So um, thank you for listening. 
Um, we hope that this has added some value to you that you've learned. I've definitely learned some stuff. And, man, I want to go back and listen to this, man, so I can just chew on some stuff for a while because mm-hmm. it's some meat. It's some good ribeye up in this episode, y'all, and I love <laughs> me some ribeye. So a medium with a little blood leaking out when I stick the fork in it, I'm going to lick it all and sop it all up with a biscuit. So, man, thank you guys for joining us today. Man, you can pass this along. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you have any comments or questions, you want to reach out to one of us or, or Dr. Price, you can reach us at bumperstickerfaith at gmail.com. Man, until we see you again, be blessed mm-hmm. and be free. Yeah. Peace. Peace. And don't go stepping in no BS. <laughs> <laughs>